ears to hear, the heart to obey, and the will to per the heart to perceive, and the will to obey. The word that I have today, in Yeshua's name, Amen. Uh, so, the there's no real clear title of the message, but I'm going to call it "Overcoming Obstacles," and pray that Rena's okay with that. Um, but basically, it's like why I don't invite people to temple. Is, is would be the subtitle. Um, in Rena's notes, she starts with something that we talk about at the leadership meetings a lot, which is. Uh, we have leadership meetings every month, and there are board meetings every month that I don't have to go to anymore, Baruch Hashem, uh, although I did for many, many, many years. And we review different aspects of the congregation, business-wise and things like that, but we also spend some time on the practical aspects of preparing and planning and brainstorming outreach. Oh, I look at Freddie. Uh, and so we're, we work to how to effectively minister to the people who come to the congregation, but also to get people in and to have them come to a knowledge of Yeshua as the Messiah and get them plugged into our community of faith here at Beit Emmanuel. We come up with new ideas, we tweak old ideas, we give feedback on ideas that we had that didn't quite work out the way we thought they were going to, and we attempt to duplicate the successful ideas, all with the hopes of reaching the lost and bringing them to Messiah. So. We are encouraged without fail at each and every board meeting and each and every leadership meeting as the leaders to invite people to come to Beth Emanuel, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And it's not just about making the event successful or making sure we get kids in the seats for the movie night so that all the popcorn's gone. The whole point is to make sure that we bring people in so that we are encouraging them on the word of God and to grow closer in their relationship with him. Um, so whether it's a high holiday service, which we all enjoy as a congregation and we come together and I love to fellowship with you guys, um, but at the end of the day, it's always an outreach because it's always about reaching out to the lost and bringing them to God. Uh, and I believe that that's why scripture tells us that these are commandments to be kept in perpetuity because God knew that we would need to be able to bring cl him, people closer to him, that that's how we would be the light. So regardless of whether it's a paint night or a high holiday service or a movie night or us going to a fair at Smithtown or Ronkonkoma, I think is, there's some coming up. Ronkonkoma's coming up. Um, it's not just about sharing who we are, but it's about sharing Messiah and his love for us with them. And it can be intimidating people think that you're weird or that you're zealous or whatever the case may be, but our end goal is always to see people come to faith and to grow in their relationship with God. So uh, Rena says she sits in the meeting and I can totally say the same thing too. And we're encouraged to invite people. And yet I sit there and in my head I'm going, why don't I? Because I've sat there and I've made this little group of people that, that's Beth Emanuel and my family, and I just don't talk to anybody else for the most part. Um, but I do go to the grocery store, and I do have to get my car serviced and things like that. So I interact with people outside of the congregation. And we come up with all these reasons why I can't talk to the checker, she's busy, or I can't talk to the service guy, his hands are covered in oil. Who cares? 
But we come up with all these reasons in our heads why I can't invite this person. And so Rena came up with uh, some obstacles that she found um, that she uh, sees when, when it comes to inviting people. And the scripture passage is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. I know it's lengthy, but I am going to read it because it gives context for the entire uh, message. So this is when Yeshua is talking to the Samaritan woman. Most of us know it. Um, and again, this is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Now Yeshua learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than Yochanan, although in fact it was not Yeshua who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Sorry, did I get that right? Near the S-Y-C-H-A-R. Any Hebrew scholars? Okay, Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Yeshua, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Yeshua said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Yeshua answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Yeshua answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and, I, and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Yeshua said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Yeshua replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Yeshua declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Yeshua, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? 
I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage of har and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It's a long scripture, but it's awesome. So there were obstacles that Yeshua faced when talking with this woman. The first one is that she was a she. She was a woman. It was considered inappropriate and taboo for a man to speak to a woman in a setting like that during that time period. And she was a Samaritan. So I'm not sure how much anybody knows about being a Samaritan. But Rena found a really great article. I'm trying to find the name of the author. I can't find the name of the author. But she found a great article. And uh, it was about this scripture, the woman at the well, and how um, he gives some context and some history. So he explains how the Jews and the Samaritans disliked each other. And it went back to 722 BCE when the Assyrians conquered Israel and took the northern 10 tribes into captivity. And they brought in Gentiles from other areas to settle in that same region. Eventually, the Gentiles, with their pagan ways, intermarried with the Jews who had been left behind. Over the generations, those people were called the Samaritans, and they developed their own religion that was partly based on pagan ideas and partly based on Judaism. Eventually, they built their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim, and they developed their own language and their old version of the Old Testament, which contained only the first five books. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans as religious and racial half-breed heretics. It's hard for us to understand the animosity that existed between these two groups. If you think of the Bosnians and the Serbs, or if you think of the Palestinians and the Israelites, you've got the right idea. This is what the author says. And now that brings us back to verse 3. Why did Yeshua have to go through Samaria when the Jews either didn't go there at all or passed through as quickly as possible? The author says, the answer is simple and profound. Yeshua went because he intended to meet this woman. He knew she would be coming to the well at precisely the moment he was sitting there weary from his journey. Nothing happens by chance in this story. Every detail is part of the outworking of God's will. And that is hugely important. The woman isn't looking for Yeshua. All she wants is water. But Yeshua is looking for her. You have to go to Samaria if you want to reach the Samarians. Samaritans. He doesn't avoid Samaria and he doesn't hurry through it. Though she doesn't know it. This woman has a divine appointment with the Son of God. From this, we can take a very important principle for evangelism. Reaching people for Messiah is not always comfortable and may at times be difficult. But you have to go where people are if you want to reach them at all. Comfort is not the issue. The firefighter goes into the burning house to rescue those inside. He can't stand outside and say, come out before this house burns down. Yeshua intended to save this woman, so he went where she was. Just as a side note, I remember when I first came to this congregation, and we went out to, I'm looking at some of the folks who have been here a little while, to the train tracks uh, at rush hour one day. And I was terrified. So I paired up with Abigail, who had to have been about six at the time. 
five or six at the time, and here in me, a grown woman with track, and little five, six-year-old Abigail, and she gave me such courage because she was so bold, and she just walked over there, and she just handed them a track. And I was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And hello, I'm an adult. So I take a track, and I'm like, all right, whatever. I, what am I going to do? They, they could throw it on the floor. I'll pick it up. What else am I going to do? And I go over there, and I look at Abigail, and I just hold out the track, and they took it. And every time I held out a piece of paper, somebody took it. And it was very encouraging because we went to where the people were. And all I had to do was stick my hand out with a piece of paper in it. The rest was on God. So as I was reading this article, I was reminded of what a silly, silly story. But the point was, is in this congregation, we go to where the people are. So the author of the article points out that she came to the well alone to the well at noontime, and it was potentially dangerous and somewhat unusual. Women normally came together to the well in the morning or in the evening, and it was something of a social event. The fact that she came alone may mean that her checkered past was well known to the villagers, and perhaps she had been ostracized by the other women of the town. But the conversation begins with a simple question from Yeshua, will you give me a drink? He's tired and thirsty, and she has the water that he needs but he has the water she needs. He was thirsty and knew it. She was thirsty and didn't know it. The woman did not come to the well seeking Messiah, but he came to the well seeking her. In this approach, we see the great heart of our Lord Yeshua without prejudice. It doesn't matter to him that others would not go to Samaria and that others would not speak to this woman. He welcomes all and shuns none. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 tells us that the Lord Yeshua came to seek and save the lost. This story tells us what that means. Yochanan chapter 4 is all about sovereign grace. He found her. She didn't find him. And the same is true for all of us. You will never come to Messiah until he first comes to you. What happens in this chapter looks like a chance encounter, but it was nothing of the kind. The time and place and all the circumstances had been arranged by God before the world began. So the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? That was uh, chapter, uh, verses 9 through 15. And so there's the surprise in here is that first that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan woman, second that a man would speak to a woman he didn't know in public, and third that a Jew would speak drink from a Samaritan's cup. So when she saw Yeshua, he knew he was a Jew, probably by his dress and by his accent. She knew he was a stranger just passing through. In the first century, it was almost unheard of for a man to speak to a woman in, these, in public in those circumstances and ask for a drink was even more unusual since the rabbis taught that it was a sin to touch a utensil that a Samaritan had touched. So we see the, the historical context that this was not common. And we see the divine appointment through what the author says that historically this is something that they didn't do they didn't speak to each other they didn't touch the same utensils um, and the third obstacle though that Rena points out is she was a sinner and we share many of those obstacles because all of us are sinners here um, if we reach out to people and we maybe don't present ourselves in the best way when we go to speak to people, 
we're concerned that we're going to be perceived as a hypocrite. So when I have a rough day at work and I slam my door in my office, I'm not exactly presenting the best witness now, am I? But it's the humility and turning around and apologizing and saying, that was inappropriate, I'm sorry, that wasn't very godly. That's the witness. So when we, when we humble ourselves and when we say, that's not the person that God has called me to be, that's when we can take out the hypocrisy excuse. When we speak the truth of God's word, it is quite frankly in this day and age considered intolerant or judgmental or inappropriate or somehow um, not culturally appropriate to, to speak the truth of God's word and to even uh, bring up the truth of God's word in my own family. You know, I have people in my family who are just living in sin and they look at me as intolerant when I speak the truth of God's word that this is not an appropriate thing to do. And so we have the pressure to stay silent. Even a simple invitation, would you like to come to service, is intimidating because we know the end goal is for them to have relationship with Messiah. And because that's seen as shoving something down somebody's throat or somehow pushing our agenda on somebody with a very simple invitation, would you like to come to the Hanukkah party? You want to come to a movie night? That's seen as intolerant. And so for that reason, sometimes fear of man, we don't invite people. Another thing, uh, obstacle we face is we don't invite because somebody's Jewish, as if they don't need the Messiah. Well, they're Jewish. They're not going to understand. They don't believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. Isn't that the whole point? Isn't that why we're here, is to reach out to the lost house of the sheep of Israel, lost sheep of the house of Israel? But we rationalize in our head, well, they're not going to accept it. I can look around the room and I can see a bunch of Jewish people who came to faith because somebody didn't allow that obstacle to be an obstacle. You're not Jewish. I remember uh, talking to Rena, and she didn't invite me for the longest time because I wasn't Jewish. I also know many people who didn't know they were Jewish before they were called here. See, God had a call on my life before I even met Rena. He knew I was Jewish. I didn't know I was Jewish. My family didn't know we were Jewish because of what happened in World War II. But God knew, and God put that, that softness for Jewish people on my heart, and he put Rena in my path so that I could both be a believer and live out my Jewishness. My husband's family, same thing. My father-in-law didn't know he was Jewish until he came here. Couldn't find out why his grandmother lit candles in the bathtub every Friday night. But there's so many stories of how people didn't know that they were Jewish. So to say, I'm not going to invite somebody because they're not Jewish is a ludicrous idea when we talk about it like that. But it's an obstacle that we face. Uh, then the other, other side of the not being Jewish slash being Jewish thing is people who just don't embrace their culture have it in my family. Rena has co-workers who say, oh, my, my grandfather was Jewish or my grandmother was Jewish. Well, you were Jewish too. They say, no, I'm not, because they don't identify with being Jewish. So that part of their history is somehow wiped out in their mind. So there's this intimidation of not being able to, of thinking that you're not able to invite them as if it's an obstacle. And they're sinful. 
which I love this obstacle because we've all faced this obstacle, every last one of us sitting in this room. So the, the logic behind that is, well, why would they want to come to an event at a holy place? We're promoting holy living by following the truth of scripture and walking relationship with him, walking in relationship with the living God. Most people we interact with are much like the Samaritan woman. They're looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places, and they're intertwined with sin as a result. But if Rena had looked at me and said, she's too sinful, I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't have those two beautiful kids I have today. I wouldn't have this family and this congregation that I had today. If she had looked at me and prejudged and said, she's too sinful. That's the whole point. That's why we're here. We're here to bring the lost out of darkness into light. Thank you, Gary. So we all have our obstacles. And Rena says, sometimes I wonder what my coworkers would think of me when they see me here. Am I the same person at work? Would they find me to be hypocritical? Would my demeanor here come as a shock to them or would it be expected? I face the same thing too. Uh, we struggle because we invite people a lot. I invite people a lot, Rena invites people a lot. I know a lot of us invite people a lot. And we get no a lot. Different people, different times, same people, multiple times, different events. Sometimes you say, well, let me invite them to the Hanukkah party because that's pretty you know, simple and basic and just it's a fun holiday party. And sometimes you say, well, let me invite them to a high holiday service. But they still say no. Or they say yes to placate you and just don't show up. But any way you look at it, it's either a no, a no thank you out loud, or it's a silent no because you just get ghosted. Regardless of what the obstacles are, we have to overcome. We have to press forward. And we have to stop that echo in our mind where the excuses come and the obstacles come and they tell us to shrink back and they tell us don't say anything. How many times do you have to hear no? They're all lies from hell. We have to be bold. We have to speak the truth of God's word in love and not back down from our faith. The encounter of the woman with the well, at the well was truth, grace, mercy, love, conviction, forgiveness. The life of Messiah and her life, through her life, it changes others. Messiah's life wasn't the same after that encounter, and neither was hers. It's easy to stay, say that obstacles didn't stop Yeshua because he's Yeshua and he's Messiah but we shouldn't allow those obstacles to stop us either. Scripture says that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so all too often we get caught up in the world and perception and not truly knowing that Yeshua is with us. Yeshua is here with me as I speak these words that Rena typed out, not because of who I am, but because I said, okay, Rena, whatever you need. We have to trust that God's word is gonna go forth and take over and any words that come out of our mouths, as long as we're yielded to him, will be what he desires. He has the divine appointments. He knows whose grocery store line we're going to check out at. He knows everything. So we just have to be willing. We have to say humanely, and we have to allow him to work through us. 
So, <laughs> I promise this is all written out. So Rena has these testimonies that she wants to share. So she is a Gentile teenager, young adult. She was wrapped up in the sin of the world like everyone around her. She was invited to Beth Emanuel. She attended. She was touched. She backslid. She was invited again, and she came and she committed her life in her early 20s. She was not Jewish. She was young. She was not, didn't seem interested uh, when she was invited again, and yet she fully surrendered to God, and she is a walking answer to prayer and a miracle. And then this literally says, Adeline, me. Not Jewish, because we didn't know I was Jewish at the time. I was young. I was in my 20s. I wasn't interested. We were working in the hospital, and because Rena's not here to share the testimony, I will embarrassingly share it myself. Uh, Reno at the time wasn't strong in her walk. She had just come back. Um, and so we would often take walks. We would walk in the hospital. And she'd say, you want to go get some coffee? And I'd say, okay, fine, not a problem. But we wouldn't go to the cafeteria downstairs or to the gift shop downstairs. We would go through the ER. Because we would check out the hot doctors and the hot EMTs. I'm being honest here. Uh, and so there was one time we were walking down the hall and we go to the coffee shop in the emergency room. We get our coffee and I don't think anything of it. So I don't know how much Rena realizes of this. And Jimmy, if you're recording this, she can hear it later and just not like me. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think she was being hypocritical. It's not like she had this holier than thou, hallelujah, crazy person, like she presented like a normal 20-something working in the hospital just like me. And I'll never forget the day we're walking back with our coffee and I'm just like, do, 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 do. And she goes, this isn't who I am. And I looked at her like she's kind of going off the deep end. And she goes, this isn't me, this isn't me. If you knew me at Beth Emanuel, this isn't me. And I'm going, who's Beth Emanuel? Because it sounded like somebody's name. And She's just like shaking her head and grabbing her hair going, this isn't me, this isn't, this isn't who I am. And I looked at her and said, okay, can I help you with something? And she says, we can't do this anymore. I said, not a problem. What can't we do anymore? Like, are we not drinking coffee? What are we doing? And she says, we can't go check out anybody at all. I said, okay, that's fine by me. We can do that. So she said, no, promise me, promise me. I said, I promise you, we will only get coffee in the cafeteria or the gift shop from now on. So we did that. And then one day she goes, oh, you want to get coffee? And I said, sure. And I start walking for the stairs to go to the cafeteria or the gift shop downstairs because the floor we were on was the same floor as the ER. And she had started to walk towards the ER. And I was like, where are you going? She goes, right, right. So we go downstairs and we go get our coffee like normal people at that point. And that was a turning point for me because I realized we had accountability with each other. I wasn't critical. I really didn't care. But she said, don't let me go to the ER anymore. So we didn't go to the ER anymore. Fast forward a lot of years, 15, 16 years, that's a lot of years. Rena's husband's here, was not a hot doctor at the ER, worked somewhere else entirely. Actually, I think we were at Bible college at the time. <laughs> so, the, but the point is, is she held this non-believer, said, hold me accountable. 
And I did because I had a relationship with her, even though neither of us, well, she was just starting to walk with him again. I had no relationship with God. And, and look at the difference it made in our lives. So fast forward, that was like late, late summer. She gives me a call. I was in nursing school at the time, and I got a voicemail, and I'm checking the voicemail. I'm walking through the stop and shop in Medford in case anybody cares. And I check the voicemail, and it's Rena who says, and her voice was just a little bit different. Uh, I really felt like I needed to invite you to service tonight. We're having a special service, so if you want to come, give me a call back. Um, it's at 7.30. Bye. So, fine. I'm picking out a birthday card for somebody. I pick up the phone. I say, hey, Reen, I got your message. Um, can I wear, like, what I wore to school? Like, is, like, business casual okay? And she goes, yeah, that's fine. You're coming? I said, sure, why not? I don't have anything else to do. I don't have any homework in my school the next day. It was Arab Rosh Hashanah, and I sat where Joan's sitting. And Rena had to do PowerPoint that night. So I wasn't sitting with the friend who invited me to come to this place. I was sitting with her aunt, who I had never laid eyes on before. I love Aunt Marina. She's a lovely human being. And Chris and Wayne and them were sitting in the front row in front of me. And Marina and Chris proceeded to spend the next two hours taking dirty tissues from me and handing me clean tissue because I sobbed for two hours straight between the worship and the message. I came to faith that night. That was Arab Rosh Hashanah. That was September 14th, 2004. Because Rena didn't want to check out hot doctors because she wanted to be true to who God was and to live out her life the way God had called her to live it out. And because she opened her mouth when God put it on her heart to invite my silly self to a crazy service that I knew nothing about. I, I'm telling you, I sobbed for two hours straight. So I finally get myself together. And Marina says, you have to tell Rabbi Carol. Rabbi Carol spoke that night. So Rabbi Carol comes down off the platform. And I mean, I realize now she must have known because I was literally hysterical. And she stands, Marina stands me up. And she says, you have to tell her. And I'm looking at Rabbi Carol, and I don't know what to say to her. And I just look at her, and I burst into tears again and say, I'm written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and start sobbing all over again. And again with the tissues with Marina and Chris. And Rabbi Carol's rejoicing. I had no idea, like, how joyful it was because I was just in that brand new, I literally just came to faith. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm somehow out of the kingdom of hell, like God pulled me out of this miry pit somehow in the last two hours, and I don't fully understand the ramifications. And Rena's in the back doing PowerPoint and has no clue that any of this just happened. Not one clue. We go downstairs, we did Onig's downstairs at the time, and she's like, oh, so you liked it? And I'm going, are you kidding me? You're not getting rid of me. Myrna and I are washing dishes. I think you were washing, I was drying. And Myrna very casually says to me, so you're going to come back? I said, sure, when are we coming back? When, when is the next time? And she goes, oh, we have service tomorrow at 1030. I said, okay. And they haven't gotten rid of me in the last 15 years. Amen. Because Rena embraced the fact that she was human, that she was a sinner, 
and she obeyed the call that God gave her to pick up the phone and call me. I later found out that she, God had really put it on her heart to call me and invite me to this service. The harvest is ripe. It doesn't matter if it's the person you work with, if it's your next door neighbor, if it's the person at the grocery store, it doesn't matter. The harvest is ripe. We have to renew our commitment to ignore the obstacles and continue to reach out. It doesn't matter how many times you hear no. For those of you who work in sales, I tried to sell pocketbooks for a little while. It did not work out well. You gotta, you gotta get past the no. And I never figured out how to do that with the pocketbook, so maybe that was God's way of trying to help me learn how to, to do that. But we have to keep inviting, we have to keep declaring the truth of God's word. We have to keep repenting and apologizing and being the light that God has called us to be. We invite our families to safe things, to holidays, to movie nights, picnics. But one day, that event is going to result in somebody's salvation. Whether it's an Eric Rocha sauna service or a movie night or a congregational picnic, we're going to see salvation. And, and for me, I don't want to be the person who gets to heaven and God says, you got in by the skin of your teeth, sister. I want to be the person who says, who, who God looks at and he says, look, look at the people that were affected by your testimony about your life because you opened your mouth, because you handed out a track at a train station. Whatever the case may be, I want to say hineni and say, God, use me. Don't allow me to be the obstacle for someone else's salvation. Because if Rena hadn't opened her mouth that night, God himself only knows where I would be today. We have the introductory events. I don't know, for those of you who were at the paint night, that was awesome. But invite people to the paint nights. You may not be into painting, but somebody else might be, and that might just be the event that gets them in the door to be able to hear the word Yeshua, to hear Messiah, to see that love. This congregation is well known for being a welcoming congregation. And that's an awesome thing and we need to continue to do that, but we also need to make sure that we don't just welcome them on Shabbat or on Wednesday, but that we need to be welcoming and invite people in to learn who Messiah is. Invite, speak, share, and wait to see. Some of us are sowers, some of us are reapers, but we both have to be all, we have to be all in on both of those things to be able to see the harvest. So trust God that he will bring fruit from the seeds that you plant, but plant them. And when we screw up, because we do, just repent and let God do the rest. Amen? This is what Rena has. I hope I was able to present it the way, uh, the way God intended. So the parable was the woman at the well. Yeshua had three obstacles. She was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was a sinner. And we have obstacles because we're considered zealots, because people don't have the right background, or because we have a sinful life or they have a sinful life. None of that is an excuse that precludes us from declaring the good news of Yeshua the Messiah and preventing people from being brought out of hell and into heaven.
because at the end of the day, that is exactly what it's about. That's why we're here. I tell my kids all the time, the sole purpose of us being here on this earth is to live our lives the way God called us to so that we can be a witness and see people removed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That's it. So friends, I thank you very much for your time. I thank you very much for your prayers. And I would just encourage you to keep, keep true to God's word and don't let the obstacles become a limitation on witnessing and seeing people come to salvation. Amen. I will gladly invite Evan up here for the Alonic benediction and collapse in my seat. I don't know how it came out, but I hope it was good. Thank you. It was good, right? <laughs> Amen. So let's all stand and, oh, just, I'm sorry. Let's all stand together real quick. I want to bless you, but uh, Rena is actually on her way here. Um, she's out of the hospital. All the tests are normal. She has to follow up with GI and go from there. But they said it was uh, esophagus spasms. I think they just go like esophagus spasms. There it is. I think that's what they do. I really do think so. <laughs> so let's uh, bless you. It's a Radonai Panavilecha Visamlecha Shalom. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. Abba, I thank you for each one in this room. I pray as they go that they would have. They will go with boldness and courage to reach out to our lost Jewish people and to reach out to their unsaved loved ones and friends. And that, God, that we would see the fruit that is in the harvest right now in Yeshua's name. Amen. God bless you.